Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. The shooting setup is mostly coming together at exactly the slow pace that I expected it to be, um, but now's the time for any feedback. Uh, this is a temporary camera location. It's probably going to be mounted slightly above me here to just kind of make the shots flow a little better. Microphone's about where it's going to be. Um, and of course, the background won't be done for months because I got to put everything up on the walls and reorganize stuff. But if anybody has any suggestions, now's the time, especially with background noise, because we have replaced screams, sirens, and a wizard with uh, lawnmowers and, you know, a heater going on and crickets. So many crickets. 24-7. There's got to be thousands surrounding my house. And if spiders could make noise, you'd probably hear those too. But luckily, those have been silent. Giant and plentiful, but silent. So uh, any suggestions, anything that you hear that annoys you, please let me know. Because I know people that listen through desktop speakers and stuff can't really hear any of the things I complain about. But if you have in-ear headphones on and you're walking to work or you're on the train or something, every one of these noises isn't just being projected at you. It's being projected in your ear. So uh, while many people roll their eyes when I talk about sound quality, the people who listen with headphones totally get it because I don't want to, I don't want to give anybody a headache or anything, you know, any bigger of a headache than with my normal rambling. So I'll let it go now. Just uh, anything, any suggestions you have, leave in the comments. Um, I'm loving the new Deity S mic, still got the same camera. So I think I'm good, but uh, I'm all ears. Whatever anybody has to suggest, I will listen. So enough of that. Let's jump in and see what's been going on this week. First up, My Life in Gaming recently posted a video talking about gaming on CRTs. And this is something that I'm just getting into myself because now that I finally have an area that's bigger than three feet by two feet, I'm able to mess with things like projectors and stuff like that. And the only thing that I would like to add to or about the video, however you want to look at it, is they briefly touched upon CRT projectors in this video, but that would require, at least in my opinion, a completely separate video all on its own. So if you were looking for a deep dive on CRT projectors, this was not it. Uh, this is just kind of more of an overview of different projector types and Mark's experiences with it. But the other thing I wanted to mention is anything that's not a basic old CRT. So any flat panel, any projector, or any of the HD CRTs all have the same issues in that you might want to connect digitally as opposed to analog. And regardless of how you choose to connect it, you're going to want to test the lag on it. Because all three of those things, HD CRTs, all flat panels and all projectors, other than CRT projectors, have the potential to add lag, which means you're either going to need to toggle a game mode if your projector has one, or at the very least test to see how much lag is is being added to the signal. Mark tests with a time sleuth, which I coincidentally was able to do also for the first time ever with a projector, and it's as simple as you would expect. Hold the time sleuth up to the projector, and then flip it upside down, and it'll measure how long it takes for the light to get there. My projector was 100 milliseconds of lag, and I couldn't find a game mode. It doesn't mean it's not there, I just, I'm fumbling with the buttons on the side because I don't have the remote for mine. So I didn't find one, but obviously in its current state, this projector isn't really good for gaming. Now, Mark covers all the other uses of where it would or wouldn't be good for gaming. I highly recommend checking out the video if you're into that. The only other thing that I could add from my perspective is one of the things I was always curious about is how do old movies with lots of film grain or old TV shows with digital interference, film grain, whatever else look on a projector because on my OLED TV these look sometimes terrible because the OLED is so clear that all of that interference 
really stands out in not all, but many old movies and TV shows. And that's one of the reasons I loved watching that stuff on CRTs, because whether it's a subconscious trick because that's how my eyes saw it growing up, or whether it's just the way your brain perceives how those images are being drawn, but while you could still see the interference, it didn't take away from it like it did on the OLED. At least, in my opinion, everybody's eyes are going to be different. And surprisingly enough, with the projector, I felt the same as CRTs. It did not bother me watching the 4K77 Star Wars on it. I only watched the first 10 minutes, but it just felt like I was watching it at a movie theater. And I watched a, an Airwolf episode on it as well, and same thing. It just, it just felt analog, even though I have a digital projector and everything. So uh, I'm curious to see other people's thoughts on this, whether it's in regards to gaming uh, and the My Life in Gaming video or TV shows and stuff like that. What about younger people who didn't grow up looking at CRTs all the time? Maybe they'd seen them, but they had always grown up with flat panel technology. Does your brain do the same trick or is it just for people who had seen this stuff growing up and it's kind of like a subconscious nostalgia or something like that? I'm very curious on everybody's feedback on it, regardless of the context, gaming, TVs, movies, whatever else. How do your eyes perceive projectors? So I'll be, just, you know, as always, reading the comments and, and listening to people's thoughts on it. But uh, back to the point of this section, if you're into projectors, definitely check out the My Life in Gaming video because it's just a fun look in what could be done and why you might want to do it. The Super HD System 3 Pro from Terra Onion is now available to purchase from Stone Age Gamer. And this is the exact same device that I just did the live stream about, that I discussed here. There's no difference, it's just a new place to purchase it. Which, if you live closer to where Terra Onion ships, this is kind of useless to you. But if you live in the States, closer to Stone Age Gamer, especially if you have things like you already have a credit with them or something, this could be very helpful. So, you know, with no disrespect meant to anybody, I always say buy from wherever is the easiest for you. Um, and this is just another option that I wanted to talk about. Also, if you're unaware, the SHDS3 Pro, I, I don't even know what acronym I could use for that, the Terra Onion HDMI thingy. <laughs> um, it's a plug and play device that plugs into all PC Engine or Turbo Graphics or Super Graphics consoles that are not duos, so any non-duo or non-handheld version that allows you to have an optical drive emulator, a ROM cart, an HDMI out, and a very clear RGB out that's generated from the digital pins, one output at a time, uh, all from one device. So it's basically anything with the pins on the back of a Turbo Graphics or a PC Engine, you could plug this thing in and get probably the best output you could get at the moment, uh, from original hardware at least, because it generates the video signals digitally, it adds the audio signals in, you could also tap into the original composite video signal with just a basic Genesis 2 composite video cable. It really is a cool device. Um, check out the live stream I did if you want you know, overly detailed info on it, because whenever I do these live streams, I very slowly walk through everything to make sure I get it all right, because I don't want to screw something up live with people watching. I still do anyway, by the way, but at least everybody knows how I got there and all that stuff. So if you're interested, check it out. And if you were thinking about buying one, uh, but maybe you had some Stone Age Gamer credit or something else, now is probably the time to get it because you could pre-order directly from them. A Kickstarter campaign has just been funded for the first brand new retail Game Boy Advance game in a very long time. 
The game is called Good Boy Galaxy, and it looks like a very fun platformer game for the Game Boy Advance. It has some Metroidvania elements to it, but if you like those 2D side-scrolling type of games, this seems very exciting. The team who put this Kickstarter out has also released a demo that's kind of like a prequel to the story, so there's no spoilers for it at all, but it does kind of give you a sense of what to expect when it comes out. And that's kind of the only issue is you're looking at over a year before the release. So this is one of those scenarios where your Kickstarter is funding the development of the game itself. So if there's any hiccups in development, everything's going to get delayed for as long as it takes. And I don't have a problem with that. I'm always very happy to back any project that I feel like, to be honest. Um, but I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't remind everybody that there are many occasions where games don't ever get finished and you lose your money. Or companies disappear for a couple of years and then come back and are incredibly rude to all of the people that paid them that money it's kind of crazy lately how a few a few bad eggs could kind of almost ruin it for everybody. However, this does not seem to be the case with the team behind this. Um, Genovese Retro Impressions did a video talking about it and even had some of the original developers on to talk about it as well. And overall, it just it looks very cool. The game is going to be released as a ROM and on an original cartridge. The ROM will be released first, which is probably a good idea because once you have an original cart, it's not like a Switch version that you could just update a patch if you find a bug to it. So get the ROM out there, get everybody testing it, then make the cartridge version. At least in my opinion, that's, that's certainly an interesting way to go about doing it. So I certainly agree with um, how the team has gone about it. And it because it's Playable on original hardware means it should definitely be playable on ROM carts, Mr. and everything else. I probably shouldn't have said definitely, because there's always things involved that you're not really sure what they're adding to it. You know, maybe they're putting a special chip on the Game Boy Advance game. But it doesn't seem to be that way. It seems to be that the game is really designed to act like an original Game Boy Advance game. And furthering that opinion is the team's stance on if they reach a certain stretch goal, which they already have, they were going to make sure to port the game to PC and the Switch and not use Game Boy Advance emulation. And they've already said, yep, we've, we've hit the stretch goal, now we have the funding and the time to do a true port of the game to those platforms. And since they're being ported without the limitation of the original hardware, the Switch port and the Steam port could potentially get some enhancements that you can't have on original hardware. So I think this is really cool. I think if you're like me and you just appreciate original hardware or playing on Woozle's consoleizer or something like that, or Game Boy interface, whatever it is, like original hardware or hardware on a TV, I'm going to prefer to buy the actual physical cartridge or the ROM of it just have just because I think it's neat. But you don't have to feel left out if you don't have these full setups that allow you to play GBA on a TV or you, know, you don't have an IPS panel or something like that. You could just get it on the Switch and take advantage of some other enhancements that the team might be adding to it. So overall, this seems, I mean, the whole idea of this seems awesome. With respect to the team, of course, they have to actually deliver on these promises, but it seems like it's going to be pretty cool, and at the very least, if you're into this, it's worth your time to check out the post and the Kickstarter link, as, and especially the demo, because that will give you a really good feel of what the game will probably be like and what to expect. So if you're interested in a brand new GBA game, please check all this stuff out, as well as Genovi's video on it, because I think that might help put things into perspective for people as well. 
It was recently announced that Scanline City will be manufacturing and selling officially licensed versions of the Moss Arcade Sticks, and there's kind of an interesting and also pretty sad story behind all of this. So the history of the Moss, Mass, however you pr pronounce it, Arcade Sticks, the MAS Arcade Sticks, is that people in the 90s wanted to bring some of that official arcade feel home. So the Moss Arcade Sticks were built to emulate the U.S. arcade machines, and they have the same, uh, you know, plastic vinyl strips on the outside. They use the same taller arcade sticks and either the convex or concave buttons. I remember the concave ones in all the arcade machines that I played as a kid, and it was basically meant to emulate that experience as, at home. And a lot of the fighting game world had transitioned over from that style to the Japanese style, um, like the Sanwa shorter stick style, just because, uh, same reason anybody who ever raced cars knows that you would want a shorter manual stick in your car just because it's a shorter throw. It's the same theory. It's less physical room to move the stick. And that's great for pro gamers, but the fact is some pro gamers just prefer the original, and some people, like me, aren't pro gamers and sometimes just like the original look and feel. So these arcade sticks had been made, uh, but because of the popularity waning down because of the other sticks available, they'd really only sold them on a case-by-case -case basis. And then a pretty horrible tragedy happened where the people who were making these passed away in a house fire, which is horrifying and really sad to think about. But the arcade shock had stayed in touch with the family and wanted to, to do the mass name justice and keep the line alive. So they spoke to the family and spoke to Scanline City and cut a deal so that every one of these sticks that are sold will be officially licensed with royalties going back to the family and with a very strict um, manufacturing quality assurance to make sure that they are the same quality as the originals and not just some hack with a mass name on it. And I think anybody that had seen the Scanline City Mortal Kombat cases in person, especially anybody that came to the arcade that time when I brought them all down, would be very confident in feeling like if there was anybody out there right now that could uh, that could do the same style, Scanline City is certainly up there, at the very least in the top five of the companies that could pull this off. So while there are no pre-orders available yet, I wanted to get the info out there and just let everybody know, start saving your pennies, because when these start to go on sale, possibly at the end of this year, or pre-order or whatever else, um, you know, it's going to be a really good option for people who prefer this style arcade stick. If you don't, that's cool too. Use whatever your hands feel is the best for you. I just know that there are a lot of people that want the U.S. style, and they want the U.S. look and feel as well, just because of their own personal nostalgia, and that's totally fine. Uh, for me, I have a Mortal Kombat arcade stick that I direct wired. I had the video out a year or so ago about that. And I use it with PS3 or with the original Mortal Kombat arcade boards. And it's awesome. It feels very close to the original arcade experience. But then I usually just use my Fulix stick for everything because that is what I prefer. So, um, you know, I'm certainly not one of these people that'll switch over to one and never play the other way again. I like them both, but I think for me personally, my Vulix is my go-to. So thanks again to Art for hooking me up with one of those. But I um, wanted to get the word out there because I just know a lot of people are looking for sticks like this. And it's very cool that the the mass name, MAS name, once again, I, my apologies. I don't know how you're supposed to say it, but uh, I think... Whether you know how to pronounce it or not, many people in the arcade world certainly know the mass name, so it's very cool that these are going to be available again soon. 
So about a week after the RetroTank 5X was released, I did an interview with Mike Chi, the creator of all the RetroTank products, where I asked about the one feature that I felt was missing from the RetroTank 5X, which was the RetroTank 2X's very cool smoothing filter, which uh, my strong opinion is that it ruined 2D games, but I love the way it looked on early 3D graphics. So almost all N64 games, many PlayStation 1 games, many Saturn games. I really thought the smoothing filter was such an addition to early 3D graphics. And I wanted to know if there was any chance of that being implemented in the RetroTank 5X, to which Mike replied something like, probably not going to happen, uh, not, not something I'm going to be looking into. And now it's here. <laughs> so I have to lovingly tease Mike about that because it's awesome. He's added a bunch of stuff that he thought was pretty much impossible. Same with those scan lines. When we first discussed that years ago, uh, he didn't think doing it that way was even possible. And he keeps getting over these hurdles. And it's very awesome. Now, one thing to note is it's not the same as the RetroTank 2X filter. Um, it's not quite as smooth. So I'll for anybody watching on video... Uh, just the direct generic mode RetroTINK 5X with the N64, and it looks sharp and beautiful, as you'd imagine. The smoothing filter looks very good. Uh, I like, you know, I always use the Mario head in the beginning of Super Mario 64, because you could see lots of details, like the mustache, the eyebrows, the hat, um, you know, all of the things where you get the jagged edges that you wouldn't. And it's not quite as smooth as the original um, and especially, too, because you also have the original outputting 480p, so you have your TV's natural smoothing in there as well. But overall, for a free feature, I would say this is something that if you liked the smoothing of the original and you own a 5X, try it. It's a free feature. Why not? The worst thing that could happen is you don't like it. Um, I don't know if I would say if you were holding off on buying the 5X because of the smoothing filter... I don't know if this would push it that far over the edge for it. Um, it certainly is for my use, but I know a lot of people really liked the specific look of the original. But I do feel that overall, the sharpness and detail of the 1080p scaling mixed with the other filter is a really good combination that as a whole looked better than the original. So the smoothing itself might not be as smooth, but just as, you know, taking a step back and looking at it, you know, I think overall it's just a better option because you get a lot of other stuff that goes with it, including optional scan lines, different modes, support for different stuff. I mean, it's all the, it's the RetroTINK 5X, so it's everything I've been talking about. The only other thing to note is you should only use this in the generic mode because uh, you would then be applying multiple things at the same time, and it's just not going to look good. I did try it, and it wasn't it wasn't something that would, it wasn't a pleasing effect, I guess is the best way. So use it in generic mode with, uh, with smoothing on, or if you want the ultra sharp mode, you could use the N64 that has the deblur already built in. The only other thing to note as well, it, uh, it won't work in 720p mode, at least at the moment. And it's not like the M cable, which once again, I have to just be honest, I think that device is useless in 99% of the times that I've, uh, I've tested it. But this is one of those times where you might get a better performance out of that for certain games. So I only had time to show a couple of examples. I wish I had the time to do a deep dive on this thing. Um, but the original RetroTINK 5X outputting 480p versus with the smoothing filter on, you do get a smoothed 
image and it is improved especially uh, if you're watching on video especially around the coat on amped 2 but it's not as a defined difference as if you were using the m classic or m cable um, especially if you were to use that in 720p mode which is the scenario that i really do think the m classic and m cable makes a difference that i like a lot so original xbox uh, even some of the 360 games and PS3 games set to 720p, letting the M Classic do the smoothing, I, I do think it looks great for those. And you're not getting that much of an effect through the RetroTINK 5X, and you probably won't. Uh, now, obviously, Mike already said this was probably impossible, and he pulled it off anyway, but I, I just think it's a realistic expectation to have that you're not going to have M Classic performance out of this device. Um, you know, this device was designed to solve a bunch of problems, not be the best at all of the problems, just solve them. So I obviously mean that as a compliment because there's nothing else on the market today that could do any of these things. Um, but it's not going to be, if you're the person that really loves that 720p look through the M Classic, this isn't going to replace it. Uh, you could, of course, just plug the M Classic into the RetroTINK 5X and only use that, but it's totally up to you. So uh, overall, I just think it's, uh, you know, I, I love that we're getting all of these very large and free updates to the RetroTINK 5X. So if you've, you know, if you've already purchased one, you've basically got a million other features that weren't there on launch day. And if you were looking to buy one, you're getting an even more uh, feature-filled product, if you will. Um, there's a few other mild uh, changes to the firmware, some more um, uh, scan line tweaks, um, some more filtering stuff, and some more fixes for certain modes. So if you're having any issues, definitely give this post a look and see if any of the stuff that's in there uh, applies to you. Also, I have the video I always embed about how to update your retro tanks. The only thing I have to add, which a lot of people either don't hear what I said or skip over that part, when you're updating the RetroTINK 5X, the moment you hit flash, there's a good chance your computer might freeze or you get a no, not responding message. Just don't touch your computer. From the time you hit flash, give it like three minutes. And most likely you'll walk back up to your computer and it'll say completed. Uh, but I know a lot of people freak out when their computer freezes. It's, I don't know why it does that. And respectfully, I don't care. I just, I would rather have Mike spend time adding all of these amazing features than waste time figuring out a firmware thing that doesn't actually affect the firmware at all, just affects impatient people like me. So I do physically have to click flash and walk away. Otherwise I'll start clicking on stuff. But that's the only other thing I wanted to add is that it's not, you know, there is no problem if your computer freezes or even if just the firmware update program freezes, just give it a couple of minutes and come back to it. And also Mike should be getting more stock of these in about a month, maybe less than a month. So if you missed out on the other pre-orders and you like all of these awesome features that have been added, then definitely check that out. I'll keep everybody aware and do another post on that as well. PixelFX have just announced that another batch of N64 Digitals will go on sale this Sunday, September 12th at 1 p.m. New York City time. Uh, please check your time zones. I always prefer to say New York City time because it's so easy to just type into Google 1 p.m. New York equals X time, London time, or whatever else. Um, so if you were waiting on one of these, they sold out immediately last time. So definitely set your alarms and try to pick one of these up. They're absolutely excellent. Uh, and if the N64 is your favorite console and you want a quality HDMI out, this is by far the one I recommend because not only does it work great as is, 
There are some more firmware updates coming and one that was just released that added even more features. And that's what I'll talk about now. Um, if you want more info on the N64 Digital, though, please check out My Life in Gaming's video. I linked to it right in the post. Um, and it's it's absolutely a comprehensive video that covers everything you'd need to know about it, to the point where I felt like I didn't have to do mine just yet. I'll wait till they do a few more firmware updates with a few more additions to it, and then I'll do a video that's basically a continuation of My Life in Gaming's, showing all of the different features that have been added, um, which selfishly also buys me more time to get my office finished so I could do that. But as for this firmware update, um, it's only available on their beta testing channel, but it is very stable. So I don't think, just my opinion, I don't think you should view this as a beta firmware, even though it technically is. I think you could, the features that it adds might be beta, but you could still be confident in using it and knowing that your N64 isn't going to crash or anything like that. So just make sure to go into the N64 Digital's menu, obviously connect to your own Wi-Fi because that's how you update these. Uh, go to firmware and set the update channel to testing, then hit save, back out, and just hit firmware update. The other thing I noticed about the N64 Digital, when the firmware is done, and it says press R to reboot, it reboots just the N64 digital board, not the full console, which is cool. Um, I think that's a good time-saving feature. It did just confuse me at first because I thought, did it not reboot? So I, I manually power cycled, but no, it was just rebooting the board itself. I confirmed with the team. So that was just a, a cool thing that I, I figured I'd mention. Um, but the first feature that I think is worth talking about are the presets, which have a number of pre-configured settings. Now, if you got the last firmware update from PixelFX, you noticed a lot of options for scan lines and a way to really dial them in to make it look however you would like it to look, which I have mixed feelings about because as a nerd, I love having every little bit of control I have, and I enjoyed spending like an hour tweaking that to try to figure out what's the best. But on the other side of it, I spent an hour tweaking when I could have been spending an hour playing Mario Kart or something. So these presets completely and totally alleviate that. You go into the preset menu, hit the right arrow on your controller, and if your controller's old and beat up like mine, hit it a couple of times, because um, it looked at first like there was only one preset, but my controller was just weird. Uh, and go through and check out the different options. And my favorite is a new Aperture Grill scanline setting. That looks really great. Now, you're going to have to also take into account the resolution that you're running this at. So I did, I found 1200p to be a really great resolution. You know, the highest setting is probably going to be the best. And once again, if you're watching this on video, or heck, even if you're clicking in the post, scan lines almost never look right when they're captured and put on the internet. Not only is there color compression and just overall video compression when you do these things, as well as looking at it in one-to-one -one versus scaled, but how your TV draws these images and the distance that you sit will also make a huge difference. So if you would like to see what these look like, maybe load up the picture in full screen on your main TV and sit on your couch, or if you have an N64 digital, just try it. But definitely don't judge based on the pictures but the pictures look really cool. I think uh, anybody watching on video would agree that these look excellent. And I think that, you know, they rival or probably could be called better than the scan lines from the RetroTINK 5X. But I think we all need to have realistic expectations. 
Of course it's going to be better. It's a digital-to-digital mod that's designed specifically for one console. Um, and of course, the team might port them to other consoles, but still, you're talking about a full digital solution that's right now being tweaked specifically for the N64 via a generic device that's meant to be used with all consoles. So, yeah, of course it's going to be better, but... Better for you is definitely something that you need to take into context, and I would have this suggestion and answer based on any internal mod, whether it's this one, or Dreamcast, or the Make Megahertz Xbox mod. Anytime you're talking about an internal HDMI mod versus using any quality scaler, RetroTink 5X, OSSC, whatever else, I would just put the entire scenario into perspective. Do you have five or six consoles that you want to all hook up to your flat panel and you were thinking of HDMI modding all of them, but you don't have as much money right now? Grab the RetroTINK 5X. That might be good enough for you. Or if you want to just upgrade your favorite ones to HDMI, cool. If the N64 is your only retro console that you're looking to hook up to a TV, definitely spend the money on an internal mod rather than a scaler because you get stuff like this you know, pretty amazing looking scan lines that are designed to be overlaid exactly over the N64 signal. So I meant that with love and respect to everybody. Hopefully that came out right. Um, but I just, there's always a scenario that's better for you, not necessarily one scenario that's better for everybody. So I just wanted to add that context to things. Um, there is also an option with this firmware update to add the component video output from the console's multi-out. Now, in order to enable it, connect via HDMI, switch the analog output to YPVPR and hit save, but to actually get it from a cable, you have a few options. You could buy an RGB SCART cable and either plug it into a device that accepts SCART or component video over SCART or remove the SCART head and wire in some RCA connectors yourself. Um, you could try to just make one from scratch, which is always challenging. Drives me nuts making making custom cables like that. But another option that I think is probably going to be better for most people is to just build or purchase, if anybody's making them, an adapter that changes the SNES multi-out to a Wii multi-out. And then you could just use your Wii's component video cables. The HD Retrovision ones are available now and they're you know probably the best quality you could buy today. So that's definitely something I would recommend. Dan did used to sell an adapter that was designed for exactly this purpose, but no longer sells it. However, the files are completely open source and free for anyone else to make. So if you're somebody that wants to make one for yourself and a couple for your friends, cool. Uh, or if you're just one of the many very great and respectful stores that manufactures and sells and supports these open source products, all according to the right terms, crediting to the right people, please consider selling these because I think this would be a pretty cool addition as well. And probably even something that you'd be able to use with Bordy's N64 Advanced mod. So I think it's going to have multiple uses if you do end up making one of these. So overall, I, I just, I, I mean, the N64 is not my favorite console. I'm certainly not going to pretend that it is, but this is definitely the most feature-filled addition to the N64 I've seen. Tons of options already added and a lot coming. 
Uh, I don't want to mention anything because I don't ever want to put undue pressure on a team who's working on stuff, but this is something where if you really wanted to get the best performance out of your N64, I would pick one of these up, or at least try to. Hopefully they don't sell out in the first minute or anything like that. Um, I, I would definitely give it a shot. If you already own one, without a doubt, update the firmware because it's super easy and you get a bunch of cool features. And I love the preset setting for those new scan lines definitely worth trying if you want scan lines on the n64 it's no right answer it's whatever whatever your eyes prefer so lots of props to the pixel fx team for making this and releasing these and i'm really looking forward to see what they come out with next for it the company bitmap soft is about to open pre-orders on a brand new game for the original game boy called tales of Monsterland. This game was designed by developer joel jarman and will be released on an original game boy cartridge Pre-orders open on Saturday, September 11th at 9 a.m. UK time, which is 4 a.m. New York City time. So if you're in the U.S., you got to get up early, and if you're on the West Coast, maybe you just stay up early late or something like that. Um, but there will be two editions that are opened for pre-order. The first is a standard complete-in-box with manual, colorful box, and Game Boy cartridge, a real Game Boy cart made brand new, and that's going to sell for about 55 and that's after conversions for you know from um, UK to US money, so it's probably going to vary depending on your region, but about $55 is the price, and there will also be only 50 limited dark editions they're calling it that will be sold for about a hundred that come with a bunch of cool collector's item type stuff uh, so i'm not sure if there's a limit on the just the basic version but there are only 50 supposedly being made of the dark edition and i think this is awesome i really like it when people cover both grounds because for me personally I love and appreciate to see all the stuff that comes with the collector's edition, but I just want to buy the cartridge in the box. There's, you know, on the flip side, I know a bunch of collectors that love and appreciate that extra bit that you get with it. And they don't just want the extra bit. They want to help out the developers even more. And it's important to them. And it's also important that it be limited because it's, it's special. It's something that only 50 people have. So I could be wrong about this, and I, you know, my opinions always change as I get more data, as nerds should, but my opinion on this now is that this is awesome, right? Anybody that just wants the game in a, in a really nice looking box can buy it for 55 bucks, and if having something special and unique is really important to you, get up early or stay up really late, whatever you want to do, and you know, be one of the 50 people that gets the, the dark edition. So I think that's pretty cool. The only other thing I'd like to point out is, I could be wrong, but it appears that this game is completely finished, and the pre-orders are just funding the cartridge manufacturing. And the reason I think that is because they say pre-orders will be open for about six weeks, and then all of the cartridges and special editions will ship about two weeks after that. So there's, I don't imagine a scenario in which a developer thinks that they could come up with the idea for a game and then finish it in six weeks. Uh, I, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the developer is a wizard or something like that, but I, I think this is one of the scenarios in which the game is already done. Now, as I talked about before, I don't have a problem supporting games that are still in progress, but it's very realistic to think, well, this is a big undertaking. They're probably going to miss their target date. So whatever this thing I'm buying probably is going to be out later. And I'm not talking about anything in specific. I'm just saying it's a 
probably the smart and cautious mentality to have. Whereas if the software is already done and you're just waiting on the hardware, of course there's a million things that can go wrong. And of course there's always a chance of it getting delayed. But it's probably, if that does happen, going to be a lot less of a delay than if they find a bug in their code or hit a wall or something like that. So while I don't really care either way, mean that in a nice way, obviously, but while I don't really care either way, it is nice to know that you probably are going to get this if you buy it within two months of purchasing if you get it on day one. So it's kind of nice just to know that. Uh, but once again, if I'm wrong and you know and things get delayed, that's cool too. I just feel like people would want to know that this is one of these things that you know if you buy, you're going to be able to see it and probably have it for the holidays and stuff like that. Um, also, because it works on original hardware, I don't see any reason why it wouldn't work on Mr. or EverDrives. So it's hopefully something that the bitmap soft or the developers would want to offer as a ROM as well. Of course, they're not obligated to do any of that, and I'm more than happy to support them by buying just the cartridge. But I do know that there's also a lot of us out there that would just love to support the original developers, definitely want to buy the game, but would just rather play it on their EverDrive or something like that. So uh, I don't know if there's any word on that, but hopefully BitmapSoft would consider that as an option, at least at some point, right? Maybe get all the pre-orders done, get everything shipped, and then say, all right, now the game's available. But that's up to them, and they're welcome to do whatever they'd like. I just kind of wanted to put the perspective in there. So, um, you know, if you're into original Game Boy games and cool-looking platformers, at the very least, check out the post and see if this is something you'd be interested in. Before I go, I wanted to talk a little bit about the CRT projects I've been working on, but this is not news. This has nothing to do with anything in particular. This is mostly just me rambling about CRTs. So by all means, feel free to close the video, shut off your podcast, whatever else. Um, but I do still want to talk about it because I know there are at least a handful of people out there that might be interested in this stuff. And there's three different things I want to talk about. Shielded speakers, where to get them, or how to shield yours, uh, the CRT wall that I'm building, and a neat picture that I found, which I'll start with that because that'll be the shortest. Like, year, year and a half ago or something, I was sitting at my kitchen table slash office desk slash shooting, shooting stool. Anybody that saw the room tour gets that stupid joke. But um, I was sitting there and I kind of looked up and realized, like, hey, this is pretty neat. I have a BVM D32, which is a true flat CRT in front of me. And next to that is a curved OLED, which is uh, concave curved inwards. And right after that is a 32-inch JVC consumer-grade TV, which is curved outwards, like all CRTs used to be curved. And I thought it was pretty neat because it was three generations of TV curve. Um, and it was funny to see because for the most part, flat CRTs were a gimmick for people that wanted to feel like they were buying a flat panel TV, but back then they were like 20 grand. If anybody remembers back then, you know, walking into a circuit city and seeing a 42 inch plasma for 25 grand or something like that. Um, and, you know, there were some advantages when done right. Uh, you know, especially if you go to widescreen one, seeing four by three stuff could look cool without the curve. But for the most part, it was kind of a gimmick and sometimes even added geometry issues. Or uh, if you're playing light gun games on a four by three version, you might not be able to shoot in the corners because it was yeah, the way the curvature was, especially some of the models that had a curved glass with a flat glass in front of it to fake 
the flat glass look or whatever. Uh, there were not too many of those, but I did see them. So that's kind of one of them. And then, of course, the on the far end, the natural curvature of the CRTs, which I believe was designed because a curved piece of glass would be stronger to hold up against the vacuum inside the tube. So it was curved just for protection, so you didn't need a thicker glass like with the flat glass tubes. So that curvature on all CRTs was necessary for safety and for manufacturing. And then you have the curved OLED, which is a lot of people just love to, to shit on that and call it a gimmick and call you dumb or stupid for liking those, but I love it. And I did not intend to buy a curved TV. I walked into Best Buy and saw a $3,800 TV on sale for two grand if you bought the floor model. So I, I had to buy it. I just, I'd wanted one forever. That was the sale I was waiting for. It was still in mint condition. So that's the one I ended up picking up and I loved it. And I loved it for a million reasons. First, when you had a bunch of people over watching football, you could be on either corner, because, you know, my, my long, thin apartment, you could be on either corner of the, uh, the chairs or the couch, and you still see everything fine. Uh, 3D movies, which I do like a lot of those, not all. They looked great at every angle. And I think one of the coolest uses I've ever seen of curved flat panel TVs was at a bar in New York City where every TV was curved and it really helped viewing angles. So um, I don't know if I would, if I had the choice between buying another curved one, I would, but they don't really make them anymore. So I wouldn't hold on to this TV just because of the curve, but I do think it was more than a gimmick. I mean, it was very gimmicky, don't get me wrong, but I think there was a lot more to it than that, and I think it gets a bad rap because of the gimmicks, exactly like 3D movies. If you watch one that was done well on a good TV, it's going to look awesome, but if you watch the ones that were converted in post, probably with an auto-algorithm program, just like you could do with DVD Fab or some of the others, and you know, they're going to look terrible, and it's the same with the curved flat panels. So I thought that was a really neat picture. It was kind of artsy fartsy, even for me. Um, but that's one I definitely wanted to share as well as share the fun perspective on those things. But the other thing was the CRT wall. And this is something that I've, I've wanted to do for so long. And I almost at the last minute said, I'm not going to do it anymore. But I, my wife actually was the one that convinced me to do it because I said, you know what, let me make the best use of this space. I'll put shelving up here and I'll throw some CRTs in the garage. And she was like, you have this office. You've been working out of a shoebox for years. Why not make it look ridiculous and cool? And she was totally right. I stacked up 19 CRTs on some shelves. And at the moment, I'm only planning on turning on one or two at a time. So I don't have them all wired, but it looks ridiculous and I love it. But there is one big problem. A friend of mine got me a wonderful housewarming gift, uh, which is a gorgeous record player, a NAC amp, and two ELAC speakers. And I actually have a full set of ELACs upstairs for my surround sound, which sound way better in this house than they did in a tiny apartment, by the way. But So I was really excited to use them, except as soon as I placed them next to the CRTs, all of the colors started to go crazy on all the CRTs around it. Luckily, the damage wasn't permanent. The uh, consumer-grade wide TV I had got hit the worst, but that seemed to go away. Uh, but if you look at the picture, you'll notice there are two spots in the middle that are the perfect size for some bookshelf speakers, but there are no speakers there because I had to remove them because of the interference. 
Now, I tried wrapping it in tinfoil just for the hell of it. I know how dumb that was. We're talking about magnetic fields, not shielding. And, oh, by the way, if metal helped, why would there be interference on PVMs that are surrounded by metal? I know it was dumb, but I had to try. For 30 cents worth of tinfoil, <laughs> you know, I wanted to see if it would help, and it did zero as expected. So what I was told was that I either need to crack open these ELAC speakers and then add a very specific kit that has magnets on the inside and on the perimeter, and potentially even uh, if you wanted to go all out, spray the inside with metal spray wall uh, to ground the magnets to them. Um, maybe I was reading that improperly, but it's basically a lot of work, and the kits, um, Fudo actually, Fudo, I always say his name wrong, I'm sorry, dude, but Fudo also suggested that as well, but also said that you have to get kits that are designed for those very specific speakers or it won't work as well. So, and even right in the ELAX manual, which I didn't notice until afterwards, it says don't use near CRTs, they're unshielded, which makes no difference for flat panels or projectors, only CRTs. So it's looking unlikely that I'll be able to shield these. So what I wanted to know is, do any of you awesome people have tricks that you've used for shielding speakers with magnets? And if not, what is a really good shielded bookshelf speaker I could buy? I have some Klipsch speakers that I got years ago that are really, really good. Not nearly as good as the Elax, but they're good. They're at a friend's house, and I'm pretty sure that would do the trick. But I want to keep these high quality because that's, you know, the, the gift that was given was really high quality. At least four of the CRTs that are here are really high quality. So I want to have a, as good of an experience as realistically possible. I've been to those home automation trade shows. I've heard $100,000 per speaker setups. They're great, but that's not how I'm going to be spending my money. I want something reasonably priced. I could have tower speakers next to it. Um, sorry for looking off camera, but I'm kind of looking at the whole thing now. They will fit. I would just have to kind of move them around depending on what I'm doing. You know, there's kind of a door in the way of one of it. So tower speakers would totally be fine. I could, that would definitely be a good enough solution. They should work with the NAC amp, no problem. So I would totally accept tower speakers, uh, especially if they were the right price and really good quality. But bookshelf speakers would be a bit more helpful, I think, for this setup. Uh, but I also, more importantly, want to eventually have a surround sound system down here. So, uh, you know, the tower speakers would be great, but that still doesn't solve the problem of needing to find a center channel speaker. And, you know, the, the rear speakers would be far enough away that I don't think it would cause a problem. And I could even put the subwoofer in the back of the room to try to improve that if needed. But it would be much easier to just have the subwoofer, the center, two bookshelf speakers in front, and then two other speakers in back. So uh, all of this rambling was both to share my fun CRT journey with all of you and also to ask, what do you think I should do about the speakers? I want to keep high quality and I want to make sure that all of these CRTs are safe because I don't want to hurt any of them. And having the consumer grade widescreen TV freak out a little bit really annoyed me. Um, I felt like I, I felt like a failure for not checking my speakers first. It went back to normal. So there's no permanent damage by the way, but it did freak me out. Cause I was like, I remember seeing that and a few friends were over and I was like, let me test the D32. And I want you all here with me in case I start crying. And it, the D32 was perfectly fine. It, there was no problems whatsoever. But, uh, if I put the speaker back, there would be some discoloration. If I take the speaker away, it was totally fine. So that was cool. 
took a couple of days, but the consumer TV went back to normal now that I moved the speakers away from them. So there's zero permanent damage, but I want to keep it that way. So, uh, you know, hopefully this wasn't too rambly, and hopefully this was kind of a fun perspective and anecdote about curvature, CRTs. I talked about pro projectors earlier, so I'm not going to reiterate all of that stuff, but I'm excited to finally build something that's both functional and something that I could just kind of have fun and show off because there's no way I need 19 TVs on at once, nor would I even spend the time to try to wire it all up like that. But it looks freaking cool. And I love seeing the look on people's faces when they walk in here, especially some of my older relatives that are like, what is wrong with you? Like, yeah, are you insane? Why would you do it? Like, it's, it's kind of fun to see the shock on some people's faces. And it's also fun to see who I didn't realize was a nerd walk in and go, holy crap, this is awesome. So it's pretty neat but it is more storage over function, but I still want to be able to use all of this stuff. And I will be doing videos on every CRT in here. As soon as I get a, a setup a little bit more streamlined, which isn't very far off, I'll be able to at least once a month, grab one of these CRTs, talk about what it does, why I like it, what the differences are. At the very least, I'll be doing those live stream style, but if I have time or if I could hook up with an editor that'll help, I would love to be able to take some of these live streams and have it cut into videos. So, you know, you basically just take a three hour live stream, cut it to a 15 minute video and, and show off like, what is this flat glass Panasonic tube that I'm looking at now? And I'll, I'll do the, the detailed walkthrough on the live stream and then the basic overview on a short YouTube video and people could choose which one they want to watch and, and listen to. So I'm excited to finally be in a place where I could have projects you probably can't see but there's desk set oh you could sort of see there's a desk set up there and i have something that i haven't had in 10 years a desk with nothing on it i know that sounds so dumb but if you watch the uh the room tour video it's like i have a desk that i could just leave a box with my new projects so i don't have horribly embarrassing thing happen things happen like developers emailing me and get, saying hey i don't mean to bother you but i sent you that thing three months ago if you had a chance to to look at it and then I have to, you know, have to email them and be honest and say, you know, I put it in a box and forgot that I even had it because I don't have room to store this stuff. Like, I don't have to do that anymore. I could have an incoming desk. <laughs> so hopefully, uh, hopefully that means there's going to be a lot of cool and interesting things coming out of here. At least I hope so. And that's certainly my goal. Or maybe I'm just going to bore everybody to death and I'll lose half my subscribers. I hope that doesn't happen, but heck, at least I'll be having fun doing it. So uh, if you're still with me, throughout this rambling thank you very much uh you know i do like to share my enthusiasm for this stuff with people but i also like to be blunt as to who some of these sections are for because not everybody likes to hear this so if you're still with me thank you and uh even if you even if you dipped out beforehand i also want to thank you as well for watching for listening for being productive in the comments and really just making this whole retro rgb thing a wonderful experience that I'm, I'm happy to do and especially thank you to people who support or at the very least spread the word about supporting because it's all of you that allow me to keep the podcasts and the information coming so thank you all so much and i will see you next week hopefully without a long weird rant at the end Hopefully this was a happy rant, though. So I'll see you next week with some more happy. <laughs>